Florida legislators recently passed legislation to prevent advanced practice nurses in Florida with doctorates from using the honorific doctor. The state House and Senate bills, which were ultimately vetoed, propose that nurses with doctorates who introduce themselves to patients as Dr. Smith, nurse practitioner, could face disciplinary action. We believe that these legislators and physicians need a little history lesson and a bit of a reality check. Referring to only physicians as doctors when other clinicians hold doctorates sends a divisive and hierarchical message that erodes interdisciplinary respect and collaboration. It also enables power dynamics contrary to modern healthcare's push to dismantle paternalism. That was Stephanie W. Edmonds, who is Principal Research Nurse Scientist at Abbott Northwestern Hospital, and Ginny Ryan, a Professor of Obstetrics and Gynecology and the Division Chief of Reproductive Endocrinology and Infertility at the University of Washington School of Medicine. They were reading from their recent first opinion essay on why patients shouldn't call their health care provider doctor, even if they're an MD. I'll bring you our conversation about honorifics, the different kinds of doctors, and patient care after a quick break. I'm Jesse McQuarters, branded content editor for STAT. Recognizing the breadth and diversity of America's 53 million family caregivers, how can we better know and see these important unsung heroes? Lisa Wilson, head of caregiver advancement strategy and experience at United Healthcare offers insights. Family caregivers are a cornerstone of our health system, but it can be challenging to support them in the moments that matter. United Healthcare is breaking down the barriers to identifying and engaging caregivers. For example, we're making it easy for caregivers to establish necessary HIPAA permissions and encouraging self-identification. The more we know about this population, the more we see them, especially early on in their caregiving journey, the better support we can provide. For more information, visit uhc.com caregiving. Welcome to the First Opinion Podcast. I'm Tori Bosch, editor of First Opinion. First Opinion is STAT's platform for interesting, illuminating, and provocative articles about the life sciences writ large, written by biotech insiders, healthcare workers, researchers, and others. Stephanie and Ginny, welcome. Thank you for having me, Tori. Thanks, Tori. It's a pleasure. Now, you are both doctors in different senses of the term. So what are your educational backgrounds? I have a PhD in nursing, so I first got my bachelor's degree in nursing, Then I uh, eventually got my master's degree in public health. And then finally, um, in about 2017, got my PhD in nursing. And I, um, pretty traditional path towards an MD, um, bachelor's degree, and then directly into a four-year MD. Um, I eventually got my master's in bioethics uh, afterwards when I was practicing medicine. And I should also note that you had a third co-author on your essay, Alden Bush. Um, And what's Alden's background? Alden is a psychiatric nurse practitioner, um, and he has a DNP, or a doctorate of nursing practice. 
So you are three doctors, um, but you're arguing that the term doctor isn't something that should be used with patients. So tell me a little bit about that. Having this kind of structure of using honorifics. So honorifics, just to be clear, are things like Mr., Mrs., Ms., um, Doctor, Captain, that kind of thing. And so so using those honorifics is, is a sign of respect. And but we should also be respecting our patients the same way that they should be respecting us. And so if we're not going to use honorifics with our patients, we probably shouldn't expect the same. I mean, Stephanie brought this um, this to my attention, this this sort of these events that are happening out there just at a time when, um, you know, in in healthcare, I'm seeing a lot of uh, grappling with, you know, racism for sure and a lot of trauma that women are bringing um, into, you know, I'm a women's health care provider. Um, and, and we're, we're as we all should be in the country dealing again with a lot of, you know, structural racism, especially um, in our department. We're dealing with that a lot right now as well. And then I also, I, I'm, I'm a delegate to the American Medical Association. And so I see uh, when we were just there for the annual meeting in June, this kind of how is the AMA kind of trying to tackle um, scope of practice issues? So it's really fascinating to me even to be at those AMA conferences. I'm used to being at very multidisciplinary conferences where it's very, it's it's sort of focused on a healthcare area like women's health or reproductive medicine and that sort of thing. It's very multidisciplinary. It's, you know, um, from social workers and nursing and, you know, just across the gamut focused on a particular disease process or healthcare, right? And then this was very much like, we are MDs. And, and it was very disconcerting to me, quite honestly. And I was sort of like, wow, I didn't realize that everybody was so concerned about the scope of practice issue. And so, and so when Stephanie brought this to my attention, I thought this is a really great opportunity to kind of just to tackle this, the three of us, to think about it from our different perspectives and to kind of try to get to the meat of the issue. And so as you're sort of gesturing toward there, there are really two things going on in the essay that you wrote um, that tap into kind of bigger bigger questions happening within medicine right now. So there's this scope of practice idea, Jenny, that you alluded to, which is, as I understand it, um, trying to decide who in medicine handles what? And my understanding is that um, a lot of MDs are concerned that people with doctorates who are not MDs may be practicing beyond their education or training. And then we have this other phenomenon of trying to kind of become more patient-centric and trying to make medicine less scary, perhaps, to the patient and empower the patient. Um, and those two ideas collided spectacularly in your essay, and there is a great deal of response to it. Can you talk a little bit about the responses that you've seen to the essay? Yeah, I think we've had really positive and and some, you know, a little bit more negative comments. Um I'll speak first to the negatives because I like to end on the on a positive. But really, I think there's there's this, I don't know, kind of movement that Jenny alluded to that some physicians in particular are concerned about scope creep is what is what it's called. Um, so maybe nurse practitioners 
they their physicians feeling like nurse practitioners in particular are not trained educated enough to do um, some of the things that physicians traditionally do diagnose treat and so there's 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 actually like a a reddit of noctor like kind of making fun of people who are not doctors um and so obviously that that group is uh has been a little ver- vocal about you know kind of accusing the nurses and the as the authors of being jealous of not being physicians or um you know just kind of it's kind of just this rhetoric of less than um that i i see a lot and um you know and and there's some t- discussion too about how you know patient confusion so we bring that up in the article but people still are concerned that uh patients would be confused if they weren't sure who their doctor was um, or their physician. And then we've also had really positive. Um, I've had people reach out to me who are not physicians. Um, I had pharmacists, uh, dentists, and even a physical therapist uh, reach out and said that they really appreciated the article. Um, And I know Jenny, I'll let Jenny talk about her dean, yeah, yeah. So I've had I'm not as active on social media for my own mental health um, as as Stephanie is and as many people are. But um, but I, I have sent it around. Um, and in, but in fact, this dean reached out to me um, unsolicited. She sent me a message saying, "I just read. I saw this come out. I just read this, and I was really impressed." And she has a, a child who has a doctorate degree, not in medicine. Um, and she just, she was very appreciative of it. And, and I have a great deal of respect for her. So, um, that, that made my day. And I think that was great to hear from a, from a physician in leadership. And then, and I sent it around, um, to my chair as well. And she also was very supportive. We had just had, um, a two hour faculty breakfast meeting where we were really trying to grapple with, um, a new cultural commitment for our, our department. And so I, I said, this is really timely. You know, how do you, what do you think about this in, in us moving forward with con- concrete steps to kind of deal with, uh, you know, making this new cultural commitment? And she was very open to that conversation too. And just of note, you know, our faculty, what I like about our faculty in a number of, and as one of a number of things is that um, we have um, nurse practitioners, nurse midwives on our faculty. Um, which is great, which is not something that I've seen in a lot of different um, schools of medicine uh, in departments. So, um, so it was really, it was, it was really reassuring. I think that um, we're trying to take some good steps um, in medicine um, to grapple with some of these things. And I think they're all interconnected. I like the word that you used, Tori, collision of (laughs) these things. I think it's a great time to have the conversation. Yeah. And I want to talk a little bit more about, um, you know, the sort of concern that some MDs have about this, about not using the honorific doctor, but also about scope creep. Um, You know, Ginny, I think one thing I often hear is that doctors say, you know, I went through four years of medical school and however many years of residency. And, you know, I have earned the doctor in a way that perhaps others haven't. Um, And what is your response to that? Yeah, I think it's really, it's it's tricky because it... um, I think as a, as a woman in medicine, I think it is, it, it takes a long time for you to have 
sort of earned any respect, unfortunately, <laughs> right? And so you keep hearing for so many years in your training, you know, that you can't be the doctor, you're a woman, or you're too young, or you're too pretty, or some ridiculousness, right? Um, and so I think to finally kind of get to the point where you have that degree, and then that you and and then you ensure that, you know, you people will use that term so that they really appreciate like, look, um, I have this training, I'm in the right position here to be to be helping you out, you know. Um, and so it is a it is a, a tricky thing to then say to everybody, no, let's stop using that, you know, that um, we don't need to use that. So, you know, you shouldn't have to have that honorific to, you know, to have that respect. But that is the tricky thing. And um, so I think about it and I think about how how I would actually put this into practice in my practice. And, you know, um, because we also have this issue of, you know, people are will have a male and female physician and they'll refer to the male as doctor, but not to the female. And so it's like we fought so hard to be just like, you know, you have to just like them. I have that same training. And so to pull back from that is very tricky. And yet at the same time, it's an awkward position to be in. I work with two other faculty in our division who are one's a nurse midwife and one's a, um, a nurse practitioner. And they're fabulous. And they make, you know, they they know, as we all should, what our limits are and what we can, you know, provide care in. And they, and it seems ridiculous to me to be on a meeting and they're referred to by their first name and I'm referred to as doctor. Um, you know, and I, I almost get to the point of saying, okay, nurse practitioner, boy, you know, whatever. If you're going to call me doctor or whatever, it just seems really <laughs> ridiculous. So, so it, it's, it's, we're in this kind of awkward situation. Um, and I think, but I, I, there's so many things to kind of break down in this, but the scope of practice does come across in these AMA meetings as just like this paternalistic, you know, you hear it from the, the older physicians and they're just like, you know, just trying to protect the, you know, just like, no, 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 you can't do this. We've earned this. And it just, um, it just smacks of, I don't know, even, I don't even know what, but it, it's not, I, it doesn't reflect well in our profession, I guess I would say. Like, let's be open to this conversation and all of the layers of it. Now, do you, how do you both introduce yourselves to patients these days? Yeah, I, this is Ginny. I, um, I'll say I'm Ginny Ryan. I'm, I'm one of the physicians in, in our practice. I don't, I think, ever refer to myself as Dr. Ryan, interestingly, I guess, when I think about it. But yeah, that's how I introduce myself. Yeah. And just due to the nature of my job, I don't necessarily communicate a lot anymore one-on-one -on -one with patients. But um, if I do, or when I did, um, you know, it would kind of more describe my role. So because I, my role is so in, kind of unique. So, but I always say I'm Stephanie, I'm a nurse, or I'm a nurse researcher, um, because a lot of times people don't know what a nurse scientist means, um, but they do understand research. Um, but yeah, just really clarifying my role, but definitely on a first name basis. Do either of you ever encounter patients who are genuinely confused about whose role is what? I think that happens all the time, even when we make an effort um, to, you know, it says it on our name tags. We make sure we're wearing our name tags and we introduce ourselves with, I think that, you know, it happens all the time. You'll talk to patients in the next visit and they'll say, nurse so-and-so, and, -so, and it, 
person was, was a medical assistant or they'll say, you know, Dr. So-and-so and it was a sonographer, which is, uh, you know, I think usually I'll, I'll just clarify that just so that they, it's more about communication. You know, they're not going to get the same answers from, from different people on our team. Right. So I try to clarify that, but I think, yeah, it happens all the time. We used to, at my former practice, at, at a new patient visit, we would, we had a piece of paper and it had all sort of the roles listed and we would put people's names down because I think, and it's true, I, as just interacting myself as a patient in the medical system, I, it's so many people that you meet, right? And you just, who was who and who do I refer to and who is sort of, who, who's the person I can, I can, you know, send these questions to and how do I communicate? So I think it's all about that in my mind, but yeah, it, it happens all the time for sure. Yeah, especially since often, you know, patients are in a kind of confusing situation when they're seeing, especially if they're in a situation in which they're seeing multiple providers in one visit, you know, something's going on. And so remembering exactly whose role is what is not, maybe not top of mind at that moment. Absolutely. No, I mean, we all talk about how we struggle remembering people's names just as humans. And so to remember their names plus what they do. In a, probably a pretty anxiety-producing situation, uh, I think there's always going to be some confusion and um, need to do role clarification. That really doesn't have anything to do with calling somebody their first name or doctor. You know, are there any moments when the sort of traditional hierarchy of titles within healthcare is is still important? Like, are you more concerned about? who's in charge or ever? I mean, when people have criticisms about who gets to use the honorific doctor, like, is there something to that at all, just in terms of when the hierarchy might be useful? So just a doctorate in general signifies I have kind of the highest level of education that a person can achieve. And so I'm an expert in X. Um, and so that's that's sometimes where I think using that that honorific doctor just to kind of signify um, that you have that that expertise is really useful. But I will say too, like the particularly like a PhD, like I have, you're you are an expert in this very tiny little thing, and um, and so yes, yeah, like. You should talk to those experts if if you need to consult with somebody on that on that very specific thing. But overall, um, you know, that I don't think it matters too much. Yeah, that's an interesting question. I mean, I think about ultimately, you know, ultimately, even if you're sharing decision making, both either with your patient or with a, a team tackling a certain problem, um, in your system, it's important to kind of identify where the buck stops, I suppose, right? Um, but that doesn't always that doesn't always end up meaning the person with the doctorate. You know, I think about the IT things we struggle with, and um, you know, and we'll have some physicians on this <laughs> big group meeting, and we're like the don't ask us what, you know, what we should do in this IT issue, right? Um, so I think it's always important to clarify your role in a given situation and the limits of your expertise. But I think, but yes, I mean, as far as leadership goes, sometimes that means you're, you're the, the leader or one of the leaders in an, in an arena, but sometimes it does not, so. 
And I, I want to talk a little bit about this legislation that we saw happen in Florida that you mentioned at the beginning of the episode. Um, now, as as you said, um, Governor Ron DeSantis ended up vetoing it. But, you know, it still seems sort of wild to me that they were legislating who gets to use the term doctor in the first place. So um, can you tell me a little bit about what happened there? I mean, is this something you're seeing in other states as well? Yeah, and I'm not very sure about which other states have this legislation. I'm pretty sure that California might, um, because now there's some lawsuits related to um, nurse practitioners who have been fined or kind of slapped on the wrist for referring to themselves as doctor, so-and-so nurse practitioner. Um, And so I think some of those nurse practitioners are filing a lawsuit against the state for, uh, for that. Um, So, and I think a lot of it has to do with a little bit like what Jenny was talking about, the stoke, scope creep, um, the different state medical associations lobbying to their legislators uh, to kind of protect that honorific for physicians specifically. Um, It's interesting because when you read, like particularly the Florida one, it seemed like it was focused more on nurses not being able to use the honorific doctor, ignoring sort of uh, other professions that maybe have used the term doctor, uh, like dentists um, or veterinarians or um, chiropractors. So it's it's kind of so in some ways that makes it seem like it's targeting nurses specifically and women, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and women. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I think in my mind, if I'm trying to think of what's, are there some, you know. Are, is, is this about um, concern about patients, you know, going to somebody who, and they may be harmed, right? If this is somehow about that, if that's the case, then it, has, it should have nothing to do with the honorific, right? Um, if it's about false advertising of what you have, you know, what training you have, what experience you have, what expertise you have, I think then, then it's misguided, right? If it's about the honorific. I think it's fair to consider because there, there are people out there, obviously, who are, you know, who are perpetrating fraud. And um, but it, I, don't, I think tying that to the honorific doctor is just misguided. Yeah. And I think that's what I really enjoyed about your essay is it sort of found this other solution to this scope creep concern. Right. That, you know, there's um, another way to solve the problem instead of this kind of gatekeeping, uh, perhaps, which is. A really elegant approach, because I also can imagine times in which, you know, a naturopath, for instance, I might not feel comfortable calling doctor if given, especially in a medical context, for instance. But I mean, one thing I'm sort of curious about is it feels like in most of our lives, honorifics have largely kind of faded away. I mean, whenever someone Mm -hmm. tries to call me Ms. or God forbid, Mrs., um, you know, I'm always sort of like flummoxed. It's a little bit like, well, well, why? Why are you calling me that right now? Um, Why do you think doctor has stuck around when other honorifics have kind of largely faded to the wayside? I think my personal opinion is that I think because there's some power and prestige associated 
with that particular honorific. I mean, it's really similar. I think I said like captain or general, those are honorifics and those are used in the military for that specific purpose of the hierarchy in the military, the power and respect of those particular titles. But outside of the military, do we really have a need for that anymore? Um, I, I hear a lot of physicians talking about physician-led teams and that physicians are the ones who should be leading healthcare. Um, and I constantly question, well, why? Like what in your training or education makes physicians specific to leading healthcare change versus everybody else? Um, I'm not saying that they don't have that. I'm just saying that they, there are other there are other professions who have that as well. So yeah, I don't, I don't really, I personally don't see a need for having that honorific anymore, especially with patients because of that hierarchy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. I mean, I think it's a really convenient shorthand, right. That you can, that can be used and then you don't have to do anything else to explain your, (laughs) your position. And so it's an easy fallback, but but, you know, I don't know why that, um, you know, why doesn't everybody get labeled with their training then, you know? Um, so it, it does seem silly when you <laughs> right. kind of break it down. I think from the physician-led teams, I think that's really interesting too, Stephanie. Um, you know, I, I think what that is kind of arguing against is, and this is my bias, but it's arguing against the people in leadership in healthcare who have no experience with patients, Right. So I think that's hopefully in most cases, that's a way of saying, let's bring more people into leadership that actually have healthcare, you know, face-to-face patient or, you know, that kind of healthcare experience instead of just executives who, um, you know, who, who may have never interacted with patients or the system or taken the risks that are involved with being, you know, a healthcare provider. And so again, maybe, maybe hopefully it's a short, it's a short form for just saying, let's bring more healthcare providers into leadership, but you're right. Maybe it's about, um, something else and I'm being naive. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I, so when I've specifically heard that term, it's, um, nurse practitioners or nurses are a great part of a physician led team. Um, so it's definitely, You know, and it's so interesting to me because like you could have a resident who is a physician and then a nurse who has an, you know, a a master's degree and 35 years of experience. Experience. Is that Mm -hmm. like, is that resident the one who's leading the team then? (laughs) And I would argue probably it should not be. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. One thing I I see from from doctors who seem to be concerned about scope creep is, is they say that there's cost cutting going on here, right? That healthcare systems want to avoid paying the higher salaries to MDs. And so, you know, when they're hiring nurse practitioners or others, patients are getting a lesser experience and healthcare systems are just making more money. I mean, and I mean, it, might there be some truth to that concern as well? I mean, it, it, that's that's tricky. I think um, there there certainly is um, in our field. I can speak to in reproductive endocrinology and infertility. Um, there are not enough REI 
you know, subspecialty board trained physicians to provide the care out there that, that needs to happen. Um, you know, that, that where everybody is, patients are not being seen as quickly as they should be. Um, and so, so I think there's, there's that, that void is being filled in many different ways. And I think there's an attempt being made to also train more, but I mean, it's so, it's so multi-layered there. It is expensive to train, um, residents and fellows in medicine and, you know, MD residents and fellows in medicine. And, and so the money's being cut from that standpoint, um, by federal funding for those positions. And so, um, I think there's a bit of a pushback against that, like, you know, in it, Hey, if, you know, if this is what we're trained to do, help us train more, help, help us federally train more people to provide this care rather than filling the gap with, you know, often excellent and well-trained, but not, you know, not to that same sort of the same requirements, um, of the subspecialty fellowship trained providers. So I think there's probably that issue that it's true that there is, there's less money for the training that's required for, um, for the MDs and for, for the subspecialty training. So it's tricky. Yeah. 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 I think overall that we have a huge issue in this country related to healthcare systems. Um, They are, a mess. I know that just in the last few months, healthcare system after healthcare system are laying off clinicians. I know my employer just laid off 350 employees uh, last week. Very difficult. Some of them nurses. We need every single one of them. So it's really difficult to understand Mm -hmm. kind of this fighting, infighting, I guess I would say. And when this is really a time where physicians, nurses, everyone else in the healthcare workforce should be coming together to try to fix these situations and Mm -hmm. lobby to the government. Um, Because I know Jenny and I can, will probably both say this, that we desperately need to fix things um, as sooner rather than later. And so fighting about things like scope creep or reimbursement rates to nurses versus physicians is kind of not the point. Yeah, that's great. That's a great way of looking at it, Stephanie. Absolutely. What do you think might be a more productive way to tackle these staffing issues than perhaps getting caught in the sort of gatekeeping over who gets to be called doctor? That's a really hard question. (laughs) (laughs) Please solve this in the next three minutes. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, really coming together at the table, um, I, one of the things that I see as a nurse is that nurses are not always included at the table, which is very concerning. Um, So, you know, you might have kind of like Jenny was saying, some executives and some physicians, but then there's not a nurse. Um, so making sure that you have really all, you know, clinicians at the table trying to solve these issues and work together, um, and making sure, you know, we talk a lot about diversity, um, you know, in these last three years, um, in a variety of settings. I know the American Medical Association talks about diversity a lot. 
Um, but we have to think about diversity of our roles too, because every role is important and vital to the healthcare system. One role isn't superior to another. Um, it's just, we all have different expertise. So that's why we all need to come together to try to to combat some of these things. And we can't just ignore voices because we don't think that they have the training that we do. Yeah, I mean, there's there's so many, so many issues. Absolutely. I mean, things are um, unnecessarily expensive, you know, medications, um, people are underinsured still. And so things, catastrophic care is incredibly expensive. Um, you know, there are just societal issues, right, that, you know, that, that are huge and that are unfortunately end up in the emergency departments instead of being solved, um, you know, with preventive, better preventive care and just overall wellness. Um, you know, I mean, there's so many, so many issues that, you know, end up being kind of funneling down into, you know, kind of complex healthcare issues for, for people in our society. And that including social determinants of health, right? I mean, so, so how, so absolutely. I mean, the more voices, the better in figuring out, including public health and, you know, in figuring out how can we help to make, um, you know, just society healthier and, and prevent coming to, you know, having to come in, into the system in the first place would be, would be, um, awesome. Yeah, I know you all had a recent podcast about the the physician and I think is it Nienna, mm-hmm. um, Caitlin Bernard, um, and you had two guests on about you know just about how physicians or healthcare clinicians you know need to lobby for patient safety and evidence based medicine and um, you know. These these things are impacting nurses as well, and nurses are are wanting to lobby these things too. So coming together, it's we we form a bigger group and a and a louder voice. So it sort of sounds like you're saying open the gate rather than keeping it closed. Gatekeeping is not the solution here. <laughs> exactly. Well, Stephanie W. Edmonds and Ginny Ryan, thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, thanks so much for having us, Tori. Thanks, Tori. While we're here, I wanted to let you know about something exciting from STAT. It's a new report called Patients Speak Out, Learning About Healthcare First Person. It collects some of the best first opinion essays about personal experiences with the medical system. I love it because it offers a really important reminder that healthcare is about people, something a little too easy to forget sometimes. You can find it at reports.statnews.com. Thank you so much for listening to the First Opinion Podcast. It's produced by Teresa Gaffney. Alyssa Ambrose is the senior producer, and Rick Burke is executive producer. After this episode, we're going to take a little bit of a break. The First Opinion Podcast will be back in October. In the meantime, please let us know what you think about the show, what we could be doing differently, and whether I did okay in my first season as host of the podcast. You can do that by sending us a note at first.opinion at statnews.com. And if you have a minute, please do take a second to leave a review or rating on whatever platform you use to get your podcasts. Until next time, I'm Tori Bosch, and please don't keep your opinions to yourself.